Hello there, and welcome to the Ignition Podcast, which aims to inform, entertain, and inspire you to do more with your passion for cars. This podcast started with the curiosity to learn more about the industries you and I love the most. And something that's been on my mind recently is the world of EVs, from Tesla and Lucid to the guys and gals swapping motors into classic cars. So on that topic, today's guest fits that mold perfectly, and you'll find him inspirational, innovative, creative, and electric. He is a personal hero of mine, and getting to meet him at Goodwood, and then subsequently do this interview was a huge thing for me. What you're about to hear is something that will shock you. If I want to do something, I'll just do it. I've always owned classic cars ever since I was 17. Usually what happens in life is that passion becomes your hobby or your ends and weekends sort of like life. And in the day, you wear a suit and tie and do a day job. And that's what happened to me for 20 years of my life, really. I never planned this, is probably the easiest way to put it, Harry. I've got a, a, a massive passion for detail as well. To look right, be right, driven and enjoyed. You know, everything has to work perfectly, if not better than original. You know, as soon as you start with a, a white sheet of paper, if you like, then it gets very exciting. You know, all bets are off, I can do anything here. If there's parents out there and their children are into technical Lego and and then and Lego full stoppers uh, when they're younger, encourage that because those are the engineers of tomorrow and those are the engineers that will be building the future for us. Go for it. You won't regret it. You'll make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes in life, then you're not trying hard enough, quite frankly. It's a bit like racing. If you don't crash now and again, you ain't going fast enough, mate. On your deathbed, you'll regret the things you didn't do in life, not the things you did do. This episode sponsor is you. And by that, I mean the community you are a part of. By listening and sharing this podcast and its message, you are already helping us head in a new and exciting direction. I've created Patreon. The Patreon is to help grow and build this podcast in something more significant than the sum of its parts. I do this out of a passion and I would love for that to be enough. And on most days it is. But I want to bring you better guests, better quality audio, and higher production quality. And if, like me, you listen to other podcasts as well, you know that the best have all these three things in common. So if you can and want to give back to the podcast and show your support, I will leave a link where you can either donate to the podcast or just show your support monthly by joining one of our membership tiers. Some of the amazing benefits include... An exciting new Discord server where we can share and talk and discuss our favourite car topics. Early access to content like this and more. And even behind the scenes chats and help from me so you can do more with your passion for cars. And I also want to give a huge thank you for those who just listen regularly and keep making the podcast a part of your daily routine. It really does mean a lot to me. And with that out of the way, back to the episode. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. I'm sorry. And by what I mean by sorry is that the clips in this episode aren't the best. Um, reason being is that when editing the podcast, it decided to corrupt itself. So I just have the sides of the audio from the Zoom call. But hopefully it's enough for you to understand Richard and appreciate the man he is. Richard, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm very well. Thank you, Harry. How are you, mate? Oh, very good, thank you. So, I mean, it's it's a nice sort of journey to get to understand how you started um, so, I mean, what, what ignited your passion for cars in the first place? Oh, what ain't done, um, it goes back to when I was a kid playing with Matchbox toys. I mean, uh, you know, who didn't like Matchbox toys? And um, Hot Wheels, I think, is probably the biggest thing that got me into uh, cars. Because so, Matchbox toys are all very well and good. But the Hot Wheels toys, they were awesome. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, because you look like you're a lot younger than me. But Hot Wheels uh, were, you know, custom sort of like, you know, trick, really cool outlandish uh, little toy cars. And yeah. uh, I just love those things. And then obviously when I got a little bit older, I was able to have them for real. So I got into um, pretty much straight away modifying and hot rods and like, you know, having some 
crazy sort of like outlandish looking um, uh, classic cars. Yeah. So, uh, my first ever car I bought um, pretty much um, came from the fact that um, I wrote off my mum's golf a week after I passed my test. So I wrote, I wrote, I wrote my mum's uh, VW Golf Mark II um, and uh, then for Christmas I uh, got a, a written off and a welder for my birthday and my parents pretty much said there build the car and <laughs> which is a really good thing because once you put so much effort um, and passion into restoring a car and modifying it yourself you take a lot more care um, <laughs> so I didn't crash it and I'm now um, nearly 50 years old and I still have that car so I've still got the very first car I own uh, um, at home, that's, that's a very, yeah. it's it's a lot different. I mean, it it's now roof chopped. Um, you know, I took I took so like you know the the idea from those Hot Wheel cars as I was a kid, and I kind of transposed that onto uh, my car. So uh, it's it's roof chopped, depillared, it's wider, it's got a Porsche motor in the back. It's the only car that's not electric yet, um, so uh, it'll it'll get there. It will get the nose print. I mean, I, I believe it or not, I do know what Hot Wheels cars are. I, I started exactly the same way you did, believe it or not, with, with little Hot Wheels cars, Hot Wheels tracks, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I imagine they got a bit more elaborate. I had a little lorry that opened up, and you could like drive the cars into the lorry, and it was like a little yeah. workshop on the road. So, yeah, I, I definitely understand that you, you kind of create little stories in your mind of where the cars go and what they do. We, didn't, so, even have, we didn't have Hot Wheels tracks back then, you see. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but in fact, everything was in black and white when I was a kid. But yeah, we, we had to make our own Hot Wheels tracks, usually out of like uh, you know carpet tube and like other uh, weird stuff like that. So uh, yeah, all, all that um, uh, came you know, a lot, lot later. Yeah, so man, when when young Richard was playing with all these toys and stuff, did he have an idea of what he wanted to do with the future? Did he have an idea of what job he wanted to do or a passion he wanted to pursue? No, not a clue. I'm 50 years old. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Um, you know, I, I, I've always had a passion for classic cars. As I say, I've, I've always owned classic cars ever since I was 17. Um, but usually what happens in life is, um, you know, that passion becomes your hobby or your ends and weekends sort of like life. And in the day, you wear a suit and tie and do a day job. And that's what happened to me for 20 years of my life, really. I did a suit and tie job, um, you know, saving large organizations uh, energy. So we helped them reduce their energy consumption. And, um, you know, all the way through that, I had my classic cars. I was either drag racing them or, um, you know, I did a couple of uh, racing series. I did a um, the British Historic Rally Championship, in fact, in uh, a Porsche 914, that one there. Beautiful. So, uh, you know, I did that as my hobby and passion all the way through um, my professional career. And then, uh, yeah, it just, um, you know, just happened that then one day I decided to convert one to electric. And yeah. that's when everything kind of changed for me. And so is this the, the Beetle you mentioned? I knew you chat about six years ago, there was, there was a video of you pulling off in like a red burgundy Beetle. Yeah, yeah, that was the first uh, car I ever converted. So that was, um, yeah, six, if not seven years ago now, because obviously I probably converted it before the video came out. So it was yeah. seven years ago I converted that to electric. And again, it was just one of those things where I did it as a um, an engineering exercise, if you like, at home. Because I, I finished doing the rally championship, and I'd been doing that for seven years. Yeah. Um, and when you stop doing a race championship – there's a big void in your life because usually in between the races, you're, you're fixing things, you're tinkering with things, you're tuning things. You're always getting it prepped for the next event. Yeah. And when all that stops, it, it, you know, it, there's a massive hole to fill. And, you know, I, I just thought, right, what shall I do now? Shall I build another race engine? Should I, you know, modify another car and, I just wanted some, to do something new. And I came across a guy in the States on YouTube that converted a car using like a forklift truck motor and old fashioned DC motor, et cetera. And 
I just thought, well, that's an interesting thing. And I'm, I was thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I can do a little bit better than what he's done there. <clears throat> um, because my background, I, I kind of know how motors work and I know, you know, what, uh, you know, what electricity is. And, you know, I, I kind of know enough to be dangerous in that respect. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a go. I'll, uh, I'll convert a VW Beetle because I know them really well. And um, then I put that build, you know, on on the internet, on blogs and things like that. So people started following me. And then um, a YouTube channel called Fully Charged did a, an episode on it. And they were, um, you know, a popular um, uh, YouTube channel, still are. And it just kind of took off from there. I mean, that first car, then off the back of that, somebody wanted to buy it off me. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've never sold any of my toys. Um, and they were offering, um, you know, the same amount that I put into it. I thought, well, okay, well that, that amount of money then can go into my next project. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and at the same time then, um, somebody said, um, uh, contacted me and said, hey, um, if you finish that Beetle now, can you um, convert uh, my Porsche 911? I thought, all right, yeah, why not? Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there, halfway through doing that 911 Um you know, a guy contacted me, said, hey, can you do a Range Rover Classic for me? And it just kind of like snowballed. So the, the the business itself came out of just obviously putting your work out there and showing people what you were capable of with the skills that you'd built up from even even learning Hot Wheels and, and having a welder. So it's kind of, it's all sort of, I can see the, the, the lineage of how it's, how it's progressed. So when was the point where you looked at electric classic cars as it was and thought, I don't need a boring day job anymore? <laughs> yeah um so i never planned this is probably the easiest way to put it, harry um you know i've got a massive passion for classic cars and but i've also got a, a, a massive passion for detail as well so you know my cars have to look right and they have to be right and they have to be driven and enjoyed yeah. and you know everything has to work perfectly if not better than original which is always you know the idea whenever you're modifying or customizing a car you're trying to improve what it was like from the factory sometimes you know that doesn't happen they make yeah. it worse but usually you reverse and go up a different path so yeah my, my my passion for classic cars and detail kind of came through with the builds that i was doing um and you know Whenever you're putting that much passion into something like, you know, classic cars, the the amount of um, energy that goes into your day job kind of like, you know, you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've got to do the day job. But you look forward to the evening and working yeah. on these cars. And uh, I, there was this transition point probably about six years ago <clears throat> it, was, it was fairly soon after that first car was converted i'd say about a year afterwards they thought you know what i've got now two cars i'm converting myself um and i've got another car in the queue behind that why am i doing the day job yeah so what i did i had a little bit of a um a transition where I was working three days a week and then two days a week on the cars, but that, that only lasted, you know, six weeks or whatever before, before I thought, you know what, um, I'll just do it. I'll take the jump and uh, not the day job on the, on the head, which is a big thing because, you know, that, that day job was quite a well-paid, you know, a high power, so like, you know, flying around the world type yeah. day and, you know, tinkering around with classic cars. It doesn't, it didn't pay and still doesn't pay anywhere near uh, what that day job did so it's a big you know change for 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 me in that respect but from a you know mental health point of view oh my god was it a good yeah. choice i mean you know every day doesn't seem like work and now i can quite happily work seven days i say work it's not work coming in here i mean it's, i was going to say you know i'm quite happy working seven days a week but it's not work no. You're just tinkering around and playing with awesome cars like Ferraris and Maseratis and Beetles and Porsches and things. That's not work. Let's face it. Yeah. But yeah, but now we get paid for it, uh, for doing it, which is fantastic. You know, it, it, living the dream, as they say, Harry. Living the dream. It's brilliant because the work you guys are putting out is amazing. I mean, I I I saw I saw a good revival for myself. Just to have a look around the mini and the and the Baja bug you've got going on. It's some some amazing stuff. Um, but what I, I like to see like. Obviously, the opinion that matters most is the opinion of yourself. But 
what was happening around your support network, family, friends, when you made this decision? How were they impacting you or helping you through that? Oh, they didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stubborn uh, person when it comes to that. If I, if I make a decision, stop nodding. Stop nodding. <laughs> John, next to me is agreeing. Uh, yeah, if I want to do something, I'll just do it. And, um, you know, consequences of, uh, you know, uh, to be fair, I'm being a bit facetious. I, I did talk it through with a wife and just said, I'm planning to do this. But again, she's she, her, her kind of mindset is, yeah, cool, whatever, go for it. So I had the full support not that I needed it because I wanted <laughs> but the full support of my uh, family and, and um, you know, my, my friends just thought it was pretty awesome anyway because playing around with cars, all my mates are into cars anyway. So, you know, they were uh, they were up for that. And, uh, you know, I've got some of them work for me now, like uh, John John over there and, uh, and a mate uh, called Tim that does my YouTube channel for me and stuff. So, you know, my, my friends have uh, got involved. In fact, one of my friends was my first employee, a guy called Pete, still works here now. So, um, yeah, it's good good to um, uh, surround yourself with uh, mates when you're doing, you know, business like this, but also to do something that you all have fun at as well. Yeah, and so it's brilliant. So I was going to go on to sort of building a team and how you, how you started that, but it's clear <laughs> that you've, you've chosen friends, you've chosen people with passion. Yeah, I mean... I haven't chosen, uh, you know, you can't build a business just on your mates. <laughs> that That's just, <laughs> I wish that could happen. But but what you do in, in well, what, what I've done in business is um, I, I have an eye for um, making sure that the people that we do take on board <clears throat> um, work well as a team. That's the most important thing uh, when you're building a business up is choose people that um, will work and gel well together. And that's sometimes at the detriment of, you know, people that might have a, an amazing LinkedIn profile or, you know, a CV that's like just amazing. And you think, yeah, that's great, mate, but I don't think you're going to fit in here for, for whatever reason. And I'll always go with the people that will fit in well with the team because you only need one, one person that can upset um, the dynamics of a team yep. that just spoil things. And yes, they might be a great asset to the business. And yes, they might be qualified to the kazoo. But if they spoil the rest of the team, what's the point? So I'm always very conscious that, you know, whoever we employ has to get on well and fit in. And, you know, uh, be that, that the sort of people that, you know, at the Christmas do, you're all having a good time. You know, it, <laughs> you don't mind, you know, anybody in work here going out to the pub uh, on a Friday night after after work sort of thing. You know, mm. they, they all have to get on, you know, in work. And, you know, I feel that, you know, getting on well in the social environment is also quite important because that whole work-life balance is important for everybody. So, yeah, bu- building up a team uh, is critical and, uh, you know, putting a team together, everybody works well and gets on well together is is the, the key to a success, I think. I think is it, there's a good phrase, it's, you'd rather have a hole than an arsehole. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Never thought of that before, but yeah, I shall use that um, many times <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I mean, I, I've stolen it from um, someone called Holly Tucker who... Um, it started not on the high street, but yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a phrase that I, I quite like the like sound of. But so yeah, yeah. So when when you look at so you've you've got your culture, you've got your people and your team. So when you want to grow the company, or are you looking at growing the company to the point where it's it's in multiple different countries? It's it's doing all of that. Is that the goal, or is it to keep it keeping the quality first and then look at advancing after? Both. Yeah. So to, uh, we we find ourselves now um, as they sort of the largest converter of classic cars in the world. I mean, we've got mm. 80 cars in the workshop right now getting converted and we've got a, about a two-year waiting list, uh, six, 68 odd cars in the order book. Um, wow. So we we have to expand the business to capitalize upon the market uh, position that we find ourselves in, but also that rapidly growing market as well. So, you know, we have to, you know, grow the business organically, not just in the UK, but also internationally. I mean, we're shipping yeah. out a lot of stuff now to the States, for instance. Every single week, there's, um, you know, kits going out to the States. Um, so it makes sense to kind of like expand the business here, but also move into other international markets and have a local presence in those markets to support our partners out there. 
Yeah, and let's let's talk about some of the projects you've got going on at the moment. So, what is what is your favourite? The one you're working on currently? All of them. Yeah, all the of them. <laughs> no, 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 no. The easiest question in the world to answer because the my favourite project always is my own projects because I'm okay. allowed to do and build a car exactly how I want to build it. So, my favourite car in the workshop right now is my my like race car that I'm building because it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it looks insane. It's a tube chassis and everything. You've got it all carbon fibered up and all, all fiberglassed up. And so, I mean, ex- explain that. So, what was the idea and what was the premise and what was the inspiration behind the race car that is? Um, so, every year or so, we kind of build a car that um, is a showcase for what we can do. Um, so, you know, my VW Beetle, my silver one, was uh, one we did a few years back. Uh, before that was my crew cab. Then the latest one is the Land Rover Defender that we built um, a, a year and a half back. Yeah. Uh, and each one of these builds kind of like pushes the envelope, if you like, as to what can be done and also showcases our engineering skills with, you know, features in like, you know, the Land Rover was the first one to get CCS rapid charging in, for instance. Mm. And it was the first proper you know electric off-roader as well out there and you know everything had to be water sealed to be able to drive through rivers and you know it was just pushing things that we hadn't done before um into that vehicle and then you know the beat my beetle before that was you know the fastest like you know road uh, daily driven beetle on the planet with north to 16 2.6 seconds and you know that's i drove to work today and you know that's my daily driver and it's insane but it's a um, it's a practical car i use it most days you know it's got five seats and you know it's still a vw beetle it's just you know like a rocket ship um and you know i've i've beaten 911 gt3 rs on a drag strip and uh mclaren five something or seven something s and you know some really really stupidly fast hypercars yeah and my beetle's quicker and it's a 1970 <laughs> beetle you know who, do, who doesn't like that so the the race car um where that's come from is uh, i learned you know through the through the years or through the decades now wow i'm that old um i learned through the years that um there is a very fine line between having a fast practical road car and then having something that is fast on the track yeah and you you don't mix them because what happens is as soon as you start making something that goes really well on a track um it affects detrimentally how practical it is on the road Um, So I made that mistake years ago with a car and I I put a roll gauge in it. I got rid of the back seats and the suspension was really hard and it was great on on the track, but on a road, it was impractical. It was horrible to get into it and harnesses. The back seat had gone, so I couldn't take the kids out and it just turned into a car that, you know, it just had limited enjoyment apart from when it was on the track. So I didn't want to turn my, you know, insane daily driver beetle into I didn't want to go any further with that, if you like, because I knew from experience it would start to affect my enjoyment of it as a daily driver. Okay. So the concept for the race car started to be born. And, you know, as soon as you start with a, uh, a white sheet of paper, if you like, then it gets very exciting from an engineer's <laughs> point of view because you think, wow, actually, you know, all bets are off. I can do anything here. Yeah. So straight away I thought, right, let's decide the shape. I thought, right, I've been into Beatles ever since I was a kid. Let's make it a Beatle. Because nobody will look at a Beatle on a track and go, oh, but that's uh, quick. No. No, no. You know, so I thought, right, let's do a Beatle. Um, and then quickly after that, I thought, well, let's make it four-wheel drive. Because I know the biggest limitation on my road-going Beatle is traction. Even though I've got 295 tyres on the rear of that Beatle, oh, wow. uh, it still spins the wheels. You know, for like hundreds of metres, I can do a wheel spin. Um, so I thought it has to be four-wheel drive. And then after that, I thought, well, it's got to have a central driving position because it's only going to be me in it. Um, so those are the three things mainly uh, was beetle shape, uh, four-wheel drive to get the traction down, and single seating. And, and then, uh, you know, it just 
evolved from there. We 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 found that there's a Fun Cup Championship that okay. uh, yeah. single seater um, uh, tubular chassis Beetle esque um, you know race cars. I thought, well, fantastic. That gives us a little bit of a head start on things. So let's get a Fun Cup chassis and body, um, and then obviously you kind of realise that actually that Fun Cup chassis was never designed to have Tesla running gear in. So then. <laughs> Chop and change it all about to be able to fit a Tesla motor in the rear. And obviously it used to have an Audi engine in the back. So no front wheel drive at all. So then you need to figure out, well, I need to get a front motor in. Where's that going to go? Um, and, you know, it just evolves from there. And engineers love to have problems because without problems, engineers wouldn't have a job because yeah. engineers have to, you know, come up with solutions for problems. So they might moan about having a problem and they love to moan. Engineers love to moan. But um, solving those problems is what engineers are all about. So, you know, we, we've had to overcome quite a few hurdles um, with that project. But again, once it's finished, it's going to be insane because it's going to have a thousand horsepower. It's going to weigh a thousand kilos. Um, so it's that perfect you know one 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 slash ones like dream yeah. that you know people love to to have um of of power to weight ratio um and uh, hopefully it'll handle really well as well but i mean we're, we're, again challenge wise we're doing things that you know i certainly don't know if anybody doing it out there in the world which is trying to figure out how you're going to take tesla running gear and turn it into a race car mm. you know there's certainly people have taking a Tesla and taking it around a track or taking it at Pikes Peak, for instance, but they've taken a Tesla. They've never taken the guts out of, you know, um, yeah. a Tesla and turned it into a full-on race car and then to overcome all the issues that that then, you know, triggers, like thermal management. Now, yeah. the motor, motor is working, like, flat out all the time. Well, you know, we're going to have to really think about supercooling that and how we're going to deal with that. So all these things are, are really fun, quite frankly. <laughs> And uh, uh, as with most race cars, you're not going to nail it with the first go. You'll, no. you'll get on track and then go, oh, this goes fast. And then you come to the first corner and goes, oh, my God, it doesn't handle or this is bad or it overheats after two laps. Yeah. So and that's what I'm quite looking forward to as well with the race car is the um, the evolution of it and the iterations um, that we'll be going through because this won't be – like some of the other cars, when it's finished, it's kind of finished. You go out there and enjoy it. And what I loved about rallying is we were always evolving the car. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking forward to in this race car. It'll be, we'll take it to a track, try it on there. We'll come back with some things to improve. We'll make those changes, take it back again. There'll be some other things. So, you know, that that journey is something I'm looking forward to getting back into. Yeah, brilliant. And obviously you mentioned problem solving quite a lot. And so where do you where do you think you learned to problem solve? Where do you think that came from? The ability to take something apart, look at what's causing an issue and then put it back together again. Correct. Um, Hopefully. Suppose, <laughs> again, it goes back to childhood stuff. I mean, you know, you know from an early age if you like to do jigsaws. You know, you know from an early age if you like working with Lego. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, from that, you know, an engineer is born, if you like. You know, if you like doing problem solving at such an early age, then, you know, follow that. Follow follow what your head is telling you. Yeah. And, you know, go into that um, uh, as a um, career path. Um, if you like drawing and colouring in and, you know, doing this, like that, follow that. Go, go, you know, the artistic route, if you like. But for me, yeah, it, it was always as a kid, um, you know, building stuff breaking it, fixing it, modifying it, you know, uh, so, so that's kind of where the engineer started for me is when I was a, you know, small child, just breaking, fixing and improving things. And, uh, it's not changed. Um, and, uh, you know, 40 years later, I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> You're still taking apart Lego, but it's just a bit bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, yeah, the, uh, we, we have used Lego um, now and again to try to figure out how we're going to put bus bars on uh, battery packs and things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, Lego's got more of, a, more of an interest in just uh, well, cars in the future, hasn't it, then? So you can start building, yeah. building mass yeah. out of Lego. Brilliant. I mean, it's because it's, it's what I did. I used, to, I used to buy Lego kits and take them apart and never actually build what was supposed to be built out of them. Because you'd, yeah. yeah, yeah, you'd have a Lego truck and by the end of it, you'd have a plane. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was exactly the same. I had a massive drawer underneath my bed, which had huge amounts of technical Lego in. And, you know, you'd build some crazy stuff in there. I mean, I, I remember building a crane once and uh, I was chuffed to bits because, uh, you know, I, I could you use this crane to get a chocolate bar from down on the bottom step of the <laughs> stairs all the way up to the top. And it was an electric motor to make it work and stuff. And I just saw that was the bee's knees. And on the box, um, as you say, it was supposed to be a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's amazing what you can think of as, uh, as kids and even now just to change things up and mix them around. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, as I say, uh, technical Lego is fantastic uh, way to encourage the creativity uh, of engineering. Mm. Uh, I think it's you know a real amazing tool. And if uh, you know if there's parents out there and their children are into technical Lego, and and then and Lego full stop as uh, when they're younger, encourage that because those are the engineers of tomorrow, and those are the engineers that will be building the future for us. So you know uh, you know. When when you tell your kids, oh, have you done your French homework? Well, let them do their French homework, but let them get back to the technical Lego as quick as possible. <laughs> because they might be able to tell you how it works, but they can't speak French, and that's fine. Yeah, they won't be able to build a bridge in France, but they, you know, they, they could, they'll be able to build something in the UK or, or America. Or America or Australia or wherever. I mean, it's, it's, the possibility yeah. is endless. Yeah. I mean, Richard, when, when when you look at the the future for yourself and uh, your classic cars, I mean, what is what is the plan? Is there is it just to keep doing what you're doing, or is there other exciting projects you have? In, is there a plan? Is there have a plan? Have you told me about this plan, Harry? Where's <laughs> this plan come from? <laughs> no, I mean the, the the future for us is to uh, keep on enjoying what we do. I mean, to keep that passion, no matter how big the business gets, to keep that passion for what we do, the quality of the bills that we're putting out. Um, but we just need to incre- increase the volume. Um, so we're um, we're expanding the business now, so the through- throughput of the um, business will be uh, higher. Um, and we'll also um, start, well, I say start, we're going to um, rapidly expand the, the kit side of the business. Okay. So at the moment, we have, I think it's something like six cars that we have uh, bolt-in kits for. Like a, you know, a, a mini, a Land Rover, a Porsche 914, Porsche 911, um, Fiat 500, etc. Um, and these are kits that we've evolved and developed ourselves. So when you know Fiat 500 comes in, for instance, we already have a, a, a tried and tested template for not just the battery packs, but also the the wiring looms and everything's kind of built up. Um, so that when you get our kit in, mm. you know Miami or wherever you are in the world. Everything is there, everything, and you know you, you and it's all pre-done and tested on the bench. So that essentially, we've run this um, uh, kit up on the bench with the wiring loom, put it in a crate, sent it to Miami, and then they take it out, bought it into the car. So that side of the business is definitely going to expand big time because there's there's restoration shops and classic car specialists around the world that are looking to companies like me. Uh, like electric classic cars, and they're thinking, yep, there's a future in that, but they don't have the skill set to be able to, you know, do what we do um, yeah. and evolve, uh, um, you know, an electric car conversion or the time or money. I mean, it's taken a lot of time, seven years, and money to be able to get to the point now where we have, um, you know, drop in, um, you know, electric conversion kits. Yeah. So for them to leapfrog all that they can, you know, benefit from, you know, our time and money and sweat and buy a kit off us and, um, you know, capitalise upon the uh, opportunity that electric car conversions in the classic car market gives them. Yeah, I think the, the, the answer to this next question is going to be pretty simple. I think it's amazing that you've been able to create kits, just sort of bolt-in solutions for everyone because the more accessible you make electric powertrains, more accessible you make the alternative solution to burning rubber and dinosaurs. I think it will make eventually it's going to make the world a better place because if you look at the carbon footprint of creating a new electric car, yeah, it's so much more than running a classic car. Yeah, I think it's like something like five times the amount of carbon goes into whatever, but I don't know the exact numbers. I'm not going to preach those, but yeah, I think it's incredibly important to to, to make it as accessible and as affordable for everyone. There's there's no greener car than taking a car that's coming to the end of its useful life, <clears throat> like a classic car. Mm. 
um, that already has its embedded carbon stuff built, you know, decades ago. Um, and then you take another car, which has come to the end of its life, like a crash Tesla, putting the two together is the ultimate upcycling. And then what you end up with is a, a car that looks, you know, about as cool as you can get because it's a classic car. Yeah. You know, I'm not being funny, but the design of classic cars is so much better than modern cars. 100%. So you've got this awesome looking like E-type Jag or whatever, but it's got the modern running gear out of, you know, uh, an electric car. So you have the reliability, the maintenance-free um, lifestyle of having a, um, an electric car without all those concerns about, you know, am I going to break down? Oh, I need to get the engine tuned up because it's not running right. Or I can't take it out today because, you know, the, the starter mode was packed up, etc. All yeah. those things go away and they're replaced with positive uh, confidence in being able to drive the car um, regularly. And then what you'll find is what I found uh, very early on is you'll then find that you can actually drive them as a daily driver. And who wouldn't want to drive an E-Type Jag as a daily driver? You know, so making it electric allows you to be able to use these things on a regular basis. And you know, a lot of people, for instance, ask me, don't I miss the noise? And, you know, coming from racing and rallying Porsches, I thought, yeah, I probably will miss the noise. Yeah. But nope, not that. You don't miss the noise because it's replaced with so many other positives. You've got better acceleration. You've got smoother acceleration. You've got power all the time you need it. So whenever you want to overtake, you can just take a look, put your foot down, off you go. There's no like, oh, well, you know, I'm not in the right gear or I've got, you know, there's the reliability aspect that I mentioned before. There's the maintenance-free lifestyle. You're not, you know, lying on your back in December and, you know, the car trying to figure out why it's not working. I've replaced this part before. What the hell's going on? You know, all of that goes away. So all there's so, so many positives that, you know, not having noise coming out of the back. And bear in mind, a lot of classic cars don't make a good noise. I mean, you know, we're, we're over-egging the noise a little bit with people that say, oh, don't use the noise. Well, in a Land Rover Series 2A, I don't remember ever saying, oh, I love the noise of this diesel engine, isn't it? <laughs> no. You know, so, um, yeah, it, it's such a positive experience driving around in electric classic cars. Uh, you know, from a daily driver point of view, it's just it's it's renewed my passion for classic cars. If I'm honest, oh, it's brilliant because I mean, yeah, you can't beat the styling of an E-Type or a classic Mini or sort of mm. even the, most of the American stuff. Those lines and stuff that they say the styling reached its point, and then safety came and ruined it. So, I mean, do you think that electric car production is going to become less and less, and the, the amount of people are going to be converting their cars? Gaming, like most hobbies, can develop into your own career if you're willing to put the effort in. When I first found out about car racing and racing games, I was obsessed with online websites and games like Gran Turismo 3. I had so much fun learning racing lines and taking the perfect time to perfect each race. Nowadays, people are competing worldwide in head-to-head sim racing events. And that's where this month's sponsor, E-Team Hard, comes in. With the help of Lee and his team, we are giving away a Sim Racer starter pack, including merch to wear whilst gaming so you can look the part with a 3D wrap t-shirt and Sim socks, along with stickers to make your rig look the part. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you will be able to hear the sequential transmission with a headset from Meter Music. The giveaway starts November 7th and will run until the 30th of November, with the winner being announced on Friday the 2nd. So, just in time for Christmas to give yourself or your favourite Sim Racer the very own present full terms and conditions will be on the website and to enter follow e-team hard and us on instagram comment and win on our post and share it on your story i look forward to seeing the winner rocking the new merch and those headphones i'm sure it'll help you with your apexes good luck no i mean you know the transition is already happening um or, or, or that tipping point has already happened from changing from the traditional uh, internal combustion engine to electric. Um, yeah. So the the electric cars are going to be, you know, the future of personal transportation. There's no sure. question about that. Uh, I, ice uh, is dead. Um, you know, it's an inefficient. It, 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 it's It's been, you know, uh, it, it's time has come, as they say. It's a bit like the transition from steam engines to 
to diesel and electric trains, for instance, in the 60s or in the 70s, the transition between petrol, uh, not petrol, between um, propellers and jets for mm. uh, mass transportation for, you know, um, uh, tra uh, passenger planes. And, you know, so we've had, you know, transportation transitions before. Um, and now it's the car's turn. There's a better technology out there that's much better than the old technology. So therefore, everybody is going to move that way. And it's a lot of people think, oh, it's for environmental benefits. Well, to me, coming from a car, you know, as a car person, the environmental benefits are, you know, a, a side benefit. The, the reason why I think the mass market is going to quickly change is because they're going to realize all the other benefits. It's yeah. it's quicker. It's it's nicer to drive. You know the reliability, uh, the maintenance costs is further down. The cost of like ownership is further down because essentially your fuel cost is a lot less. So there's so many massive benefits to having an electric car compared to a petrol car um, that I think the the mass market is going to change quicker than people realize, and not for environmental benefits as the politicians and everybody else thinks it's going to be for but you know that's not to um you know undersell the environmental benefits are huge environmental benefits to changing to electric cars but that unfortunately isn't the reason why most people will buy an electric car um uh, you know in fact they're probably put off by that because they're yeah. forced down the route of i don't want to buy an electric car that saves a planet and then they'll find all these reasons to justify that you know, saying, oh, to make an electric car costs far, far much much more um, energy to make an electric car than it does a petrol car. Well, yeah, it does at the moment because yeah. petrol cars have been around for 100 years and, you know, the processes to build those is very, very efficient. Electric cars have been around for, you know, five, ten years. You know, you know, getting produced now, obviously, electric cars have been around since, you know, the, the 20s, 90s, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they were very popular back then and at the start, to be fair, um, nobody really knew if you're going to go electric car or petrol car because, you know, back in 1900, you know, anybody could buy a, a drive an electric car, for instance, you know, uh, without sounding sexist. I mean, a woman could drive an electric car back then, but she couldn't drive a petrol car because, um, you know, it was a physical nightmare to drive an electric, a petrol car. You have to have a manual crank, which yeah. is quite some effort. And to to drive um, you know a petrol car, um, you know there's all these knobs and you know things to change to drive it. It was um, you know insanely difficult. So it was mainly uh, a male-dominated like thing to start with. Mm. But you know electric cars, just like they are now, you get in it, you switch it on, and off you go. And it yes. was so. I've driven a, um, a really really old electric car. And it is as simple as that. Okay, the, the knob to switch it on was massive, <laughs> and there was there wasn't a steering wheel. It was a rudder. It was like you, you, you steer okay. like stick that came out like that. But I noticed straight away how easy and simple it was. Um, so way back then, it was um, it was a toss up um, as to whether or not the world was going to go petrol or electric. And you know, even back then, the range was out. You know, it wasn't fantastic, but it was pretty good. Because don't forget, you're on really skinny tyres yeah. and the speeds were very low. You're talking about 20, 30 miles an hour to like speeds. And, you know, even though it's uh, lead acid batteries back then, these things could still go 100 mile range, even back then. So if that, um, you know, uh, evolution um, continued and we went down the electric path, it makes me wonder where we would be right now. Um, yeah with electric uh, vehicle technology so uh, yeah people that's a forced down the route uh, on uh, you know from governments on the back of environmental um things i think that's backfiring a little bit i don't think they should market market the you know transition to electric purely on the back of the environmental benefits because there's so many other benefits i mean petrol heads like to go fast and if you say here's you know car a goes this fast car b which is electric goes even faster I think the adoption would be far, far quicker. You wouldn't have as much. Yeah. And I think it's because because now you can't market you can't market cars as quick or you can't market cars as fast. I think you get you get all these manufacturers now creating cars that are the safest car or the car that does this the best. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing with electric cars as well is you know um, 
the designers have a bit more freedom because you haven't got that big, huge block in the front that you have to work around because the engine's there. You can't get rid of the... Oh, there's no engine there. The battery's underneath the floor. So the styling, I think, you know, gives the opportunity for um, uh, car designers to really have a bit of a free free hand, if you like, at designing some funky cars uh, now. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the designers can, like, yeah, you know, light upon that, you know, freedom that they've got. And you know, start designing cars that's you know, yeah, like the Jetsons car and things that you know, <laughs> I think you know should be um, designed from from back then. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how the uh, 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 what the electric cars of the future look like. But I can tell you one thing: they will never look as good as a classic car. No, and definitely. That's, that's to me, you know, is. Just you not you can't argue with the fact that you know a, a classic uh, Porsche three five six looks a million times better than a Porsche Taycan, which yeah. is obviously the electric um, Porsche that's out now. You know, there's no getting away from the fact that the pinnacle of uh, uh, automotive design, I think, was in the in the sixties, uh, late fifties, sixties, and definitely early seventies, and after that. You know, I, I think, um, you know, it starts to go downhill. <laughs> definitely, definitely goes downhill. I mean, if you look at cars like the N74 from Hyundai now, that, that is that amalgamation of what the classic car used to look like, uh, putting in a hydrogen fuel cell, it looks amazing. That car is, is, is beautiful. But Richard, I know we've got a, f- a few questions to ask that sort of end the podcast. Um, and I'm going to mix them up a little bit because I think the first question, which is, what is your three-car garage? That's, that's it, it seems pretty futile for yourself. But I mean, if you do have it, I would love to hear three cars that you would love to make or create, or just just three cars that you have the idea for. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm in the I, I, I'm in a lucky position that I've been able to build my three car dream garage. So um, my three car dream garage is my garage at home. Brilliant. Because if it wasn't, I would build it. Uh, yeah. Well. I suppose it's going to be a four-car garage soon with a race car. But um, so my three-car dream garage is what I have, and um, what I have is you know an extremely quick um, road car, which is yep. the VW Beetle, <clears throat> and I've modified that to handle quite well. I've got Porsche um, 997 or 996 brakes on the front, etc. So it's it's extremely fast but it's what i love um fast cars to be which is a sleeper yeah. so people look at the beetle goes yeah it's a modified beetle you know but it's still a beetle and then it overtakes them at walk factor nine so you know, <laughs> that, that's what i love when you when you surprise a motorbike that is really really trying and you overtake it like it's standing still yeah. there's no better feeling in a vw beetle so that's one of my cars my other car is the land rover so I've got a Land Rover Defender then, because I live in the countryside in Mid Wales. So, uh, we can go off-roading in it. It's uh, you know it's a, an adventure vehicle, so it goes anywhere. Um, it's really simple. It's got a canvas-like um, uh, roof on it, so it's kind of a convertible with a, a bikini top on it. Um, so you know that I have a lot of fun in, yeah. and again. That's quick too. It's the quickest uh, Land Rover Defender on the planet. It's not to sixteen three and a half seconds. Uh, it's got insane um, acceleration, but you know that, that's that's a fun aspect to it. But the the fun uh, aspect that I really enjoy is the off road adventures. We can go off green laning and into the middle of nowhere in the mud, good places where you just simply can't get to unless you're on the mountain bike or go walking. Yeah, and we can get there without without churning lots of you know poisonous fumes out of the back in and that matters when you're in in some beautiful you know national park like snowdonia and you're, you're admiring the beautiful view clean air and you can hear the birds uh, etc when you're in an electric vehicle where you can actually hear them and all you hear is the crunching of the gravel underneath the the tires and there's no smell of diesel yeah. uh, and rattling and noise to spoil that um you know that beautiful vista then that's lovely. It's a nice feeling. So I've got that car. And then my other um, uh, car obviously has to be a practical car. Um, if you want. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but if you're only going to have three cars, you need yeah. one to be practical to, to go on holiday in and, you know, uh, 
put like five mountain bikes in the back or surfboards in the back or, you know, it, so my, that's my VW crew cab. So I've got a 1968 uh, VW crew cab. Um, it's got th- six seats. So three seats in the front, three seats in the back, huge amounts of luggage space, really good range. It's got 250 mile range. Oh, wow. um, it's got a pickup um, bit in the back as well. So as well as luggage space underneath the uh, back seat and then other areas in the car and also the engine bay, because there's mm. no engine in it at the moment. Yeah. So the engine bay has turned into a boot. So I've got loads of luggage space. Um, and then I've got the pickup bit on the back. And I can tow with it as well. So, yeah. you know, that is a really, really practical car. And obviously, it's ridiculously powerful. So I've got a <laughs> four, 450 horsepower Tesla motor in the back just because I can. <laughs> and what else? Yeah, and there's nothing else you need. Uh, that is a bit of the amalgamation of practical right there. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, if I was going to a track day, for instance, I would probably tow the Beetle on the car trailer uh, because, you know, not because it hasn't got the range or anything like that. It's just because I, I know from experience when you do track days, it's best to tow the vehicle there because if you do have a whoopsie or something, you know, uh, goes awry, then you can put it on the trailer and take it back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, whenever I go to uh, an event, I can, you know, put the car on the trailer, take it there and, you know, enjoy myself or, or go on holiday with it. And it's just a really practical car, that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my my dream three-car garage i'm fortunate enough to actually have it already oh brilliant it's amazing it's an, an amazing three cars those are as well so the next question is you get one car to drive on any track or road in the world where would you go and what would you take oh that's an easy one okay i'll tell you why that's an easy one so i have a dream i i i suppose that um is probably the easiest way to put it uh, I want to do Pikes Peak. Okay. In that, yeah. In that electric um, uh, track car, the Beetle track car. Yeah. So the, tr- the 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 track, if you like, is Pikes Peak, and the car is that four wheel drive Tesla powered monster that we're building. And I hope, I hope, we'll be able to make that happen. And have you got a time in mind? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'd like to say next year, but yeah. you know I'm also running a business here, and if I focused everybody on the race car, um, yeah, we won't be able to um, make you know, the race car. <laughs> well, no, no, we'll be able to make the race car, but yeah. the business would be affected. <laughs> um, so you know, this is to me, it's a evenings and weekends build, and it's kind of coming together slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of would like to get it ready for maybe. Um, shakedown of like some events next year so we yeah. might do the odd hill climb um, maybe I know take it to the Nürburgring although it's a public road you need to have a uh, I think um, a road going car for that so I'd like to do some track days or something with it next year to dial it in and then maybe think about 2024 um, taking it to bike speed oh, brilliant Here's hoping it, it's, it beats some kind of record. I don't know what record you, you go for, but it, I imagine it would be pretty Oh, I don't quick. know. If it'll, it might not be a record breaker. As, you know, you've got in the electric uh, class, you know, the VW IDR. I mean, yeah. how many millions of uh, <laughs> investment went into building that? And then there's little old me that's essentially cobbled together this uh, race car out of some other race car and a crashed Tesla and put it together. It, it's, I don't think it's got a chance in hell of beating um you know something like that but i tell you what we'll have a lot more fun trying yeah. than stress of like having an oem team and building you know that thing so it, it's all about the life experience and having fun in that respect so and, and and you know hopefully staying safe at the same time brilliant um and who inspires you who inspires me um well i guess there's a few people out there that I look at and think, wow, that's impressive. Mm. I mean, Elon Musk is probably the first one that comes to mind because, you know, not just because of what he's achieved, but what he's, what he's achieved um, compared to where he was at the start. So, I mean, if you look at Tesla right at the start, anybody in their mind, unless they had a crystal ball, would have gone, are you insane? You want to take on the OEMs, the big boys, yeah, and make an electric car 
when there aren't any electric cars out there, and the electric cars that have been, that the OAMs have tried, have failed miserably. <laughs> so, Elon, what have you been smoking, right? So, and the fact that he just had this laser, like, you know, uh, vision that just drove him on to say, no, I think it's the future. Yeah. And I respect that a lot, that stubbornness of an engineer to essentially say, no, everybody else in the world is wrong. I'm right, and I'm going to prove them right. And, you know, that, I think, is inspirational. Not what he's achieved, the fact that he's just done it, because everybody else said, you, you, you're going up the wrong path there. That's insane. Yeah. And he still did it. And now look what he's done. So, you know, I'd say Elon Musk is definitely, um, you know, somebody I look up to. And then people at uh, Mate, uh, Rimac. Um, yeah. You know, he, he converted a uh, BMW, like me. He, he started with a conversion. Yeah. So he converted, I think it was like a Series 3 BMW about, I think it was a year before I did my first conversion. Um, and then, you know, he then went down the path of supercars. Yeah. And like, so I look at Matt and think, wow. You know, he started exactly the same as me. And he took a little bit of a left turn and went off building the supercars and the hypercars. And now he owns Bugatti, I think, which is just insane. <laughs> it's just all of that. And he's now, he now owns the cars that he's beating. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few people like that. And, um, you know, the the, the other um, uh, you know, person that always comes to mind um, is my dad. Yes. Uh, you know, my dad, um, you know, he built... A house okay uh now i know it's a bit like you know out of like left field but um i can't build a house and he this is pre-internet days he with his own hands bear in mind he was a uh, electrician no he, at that time he was a tv repair man that's not even a well, thing yeah. Uh, yeah you never know <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. sky engineers but, yeah <laughs> but back, back in the 70s and early 80s um, you know, people used to repair TVs. Yeah. Who have it? And he was a TV repairman, and he decided, uh, I'll build a house. Again, a bit like Elon Musk. Like, you know, you're not a builder. What are you doing? And there was, you got to remember, pre-internet age. How do you research that? How how do you you know go about finding out how to do it? So you know, he went to the libraries. He you know read lots of books, he researched it, and, you know, he learned how to, you know, drive a digger, yeah. and, you know, what size the footing should be, and, like, you know, he built a house, for God's sake. So, again, it goes back to that, like, part of me that just thinks somebody that is, you know, going to do something, which everybody else around them is going, you're insane, mm. you shouldn't do that, you, you don't have any qualifications, um, everybody, um, you know, around you, all your peers are going, no, 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 that's wrong. Yeah. Elon, um, uh, you know, had that. Um, my dad had that. And, you know, I just love that aspect of, like, people that have built something against all odds. And then at the end of the day, I lived in that house, obviously, you know, when he built it for most of my um, childhood and uh, when I went to college. And it was a pretty good house. You know, nothing wrong with that house. It was a yeah. very... Very nice looking, good, solid, big house that he's built. And I thought, so, you know, and I, I, I can't build a house even now. <laughs> I mean, even if I could research it on the internet, I couldn't build a house. So there's people like that. And then obviously the, the last one I'd probably say is, um, uh, you know, a fellow, fellow Welshman, if you like. Um, and that's uh, Peter Rawlinson. Okay. Um, do you know who Peter, Peter Rawlinson is? Not aware of him, no, no. So um, he's worth looking into. He's he used to you work in Tesla, and then now he's the CEO of Lucid. Um, okay, yeah. So Lucid um, uh, are building electric cars as well, but it's like Tesla, but the engineering like guys are uh, being allowed to just run with it. So the engineering that's gone into the Lucid cars is like Tesla on steroids. It's wow. it's amazing. Um, the technical side of what's under the skin in the lucid cars so again and he's welsh you know what more can you say he's welsh win -win. he's got electric uh, car business and it's electric car business that has some insane technology in that uh, tesla is 
awesome, but lucid is like that awesomeness plus you know a, another like level if you like. So no, yeah, it's it's a great question to ask. I think that one because like I say, it brings out brings out people that you like like him that you you would never I would never thought of being an inspiration oh. or. Honestly, um, Harry, search out uh, Lucid and um, Peter Rawlinson on YouTube. Yeah. He does some great um, uh, content on there where he really opens up and he's really passionate, a bit like me with our YouTube channel. He's really passionate about showing off what they've created. So he like, yeah. you know, lifts the skin off a motor and just shows you the internals and like there's, there's this diff that they have inside one of the motors. It's, it's dealing with an insane amount of torque and it's, the, uh, it's about the size of my fist. Wow. It's, it's it's tiny little. It's smaller than that. In fact, it's a tiny little diff. It deals with all that talk, and it's insane the technology in there. So check check out his YouTube channel. Um, it, it's it's really interesting to watch some of his uh, talks. No, brilliant. And the next question, I think, kind of feels nice with that because where there's people that inspire you, I'm definitely sure me being one of them, you inspire people as well. And so, having done what you've done and having been on the journey that you're going on currently. What is a bit of advice you'd give to a younger, a younger, younger Richard, or a younger person that wants to go and change what people think of them and change the norm and challenge that? Um, well, in short, go for it. I mean, you won't regret it. You'll make mistakes, but you know, if you don't make mistakes in life, then you know you're not trying hard enough. Quite frankly, it's a yeah. bit like racing. If you don't crash now and again, you ain't going fast enough, mate. So if you don't, you'll on your deathbed, you'll regret the things you didn't do in life, not the things you did do. So if there are people out there that are thinking, shall I you know, go down this path? Yeah, do your research, but then go down that path yeah. and see what's down there. And you know, if you're going down the electric conversion path, I mean, we, we get it all the time. We get people come and see us that say, yeah, we've started up a business like mine. Said, oh, I saw what you do. I was, I was inspired by what you did, and I, I started doing it myself. And now they're now they're our customers. Um, yeah. So you know, if you're going to do, go down our path, which is electric conversions, um, one thing I would say is do it safely. So, um, you know, do your research, go and get qualified. Don't just try to do it yourself because you'll make one mistake with 400 volt DC and it'll be the last one you make. Mm. So get trained up, get the right um, safety um, uh, tools to be able to, to work on the car safely um, and then build them to a, um, a standard, not a DIY hobbyist sort of like Keith Robinson standard to get, you know, the car moving. Anybody can build, you know, uh, you know, a vehicle, a converted car, but to do one to a standard and professionally and safe, it's another kettle of fish. Um, so yeah, I'd say anybody thinking about doing what I do, go for it. Brilliant. What have you got to lose? <laughs> exactly. Worst thing you do, you are where you are anyway. So do it, do what you can, and and keep going. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've only got one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal, everybody. This is it. So you better choose something you enjoy doing. And if you enjoy, you know, taking stuff apart, rebuilding it, modifying it, improving it, then guess what? You're an engineer. <laughs> I mean, Richard, I've enjoyed this conversation massively and I can't believe this is the last question I'm going to ask you, but it is. And that question is, what do you love most about cars? Uh, using them, driving them. It's simple. I mean, they're, they're not pieces of art. Like people say that converting a... A car to a classic car to electric is like painting the mustache on the Mona Lisa. No, it's not. No. Get over yourselves, boys. The Mona Lisa is a piece of art. It does nothing. It sits on like a wall and you look at it. That is not a car. A car is something that's mass produced. There's only one Mona Lisa, for instance. You know, it's mass produced and it's designed to be used and because they're, you know, classic cars, enjoyed. So, what do I love most about the cars? using them every day and they put a smile on my face especially yeah. when i put my foot down in my beetle and uh, <laughs> take about six motorbikes at the same time <laughs> one one in concession that's no, brilliant well um yeah richard well thank you thank you for your time thank you for being on i really really appreciate it no problem harry thanks for inviting me on mate i'm so glad you got to hear more about richard and the journey he has been on because it symbolizes that at any point your life can change massively at any point you can look at what you love most your hobby dream ambition and make it a reality richard didn't plan this he didn't manifest this he followed his heart and took the opportunity to take the plunge and bet on himself 
The superpower of self-belief is very underrated. For you listening with that dream, itch, scratch, that tiny spark of an idea, take the first step and make it a reality by betting on yourself. Don't listen to anyone telling you that you can't. They don't mean it out of harm. It comes from a place of jealousy or disbelief in themselves. So don't take those people with you. Surround yourself with only with the people that lift you up and that believe anything we put our minds to is possible. Just remember, you won't regret the things you've done, just the things you haven't. And that's all I ask. If you take one thing from this conversation, dare to be different and ensure that when that time comes, you can tell yourself, I tried. So with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars.